Welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooters Podcast, your premier podcast for the casual shooter. Happy New Year, everyone. This episode is actually being recorded on New Year's Day. I'm starting off 2024 with a bang. My guest today has spent a lot of time compiling a whole bunch of data concerning classifiers, high hit factors, that type of thing. And not only that, he's the only person that I know of that puts out statistics regarding USPSA activity by state. And with the state of things today in the USPSA, this gives us a better idea of how much uh, the lack of activity fees may affect the organization. So without any further ado, join me in welcoming to the show, Mr. Kurt McKenna. How you doing, Kurt? Good. How are you? Good. Sorry about that. Normally I do the old uh, applause thing to bring people in, but uh, being that it's a Monday uh, and a new year, I guess I messed that one up. (laughs) If you would take a moment and introduce yourself. Uh, Well, hello. Uh, My name is Kurt McKenna. So I uh, run the competition shooting analytics Instagram page. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm here to speak with Dave, speak with y'all and uh, hopefully, uh, we can go over some interesting topics. Yeah, this is uh who knows where, where this conversation is going to go, but this should be a good one. I, I love statistics. So, and I, and I don't know everything about statistics, so I just enjoy them. I enjoy analyzing them. So this will be a good one. So Kurt, what I normally do is I open up the show with the hardest questions of all their icebreaker yeah. questions, kind of get to know the guest. Um, so we're going to start there. Question number one, favorite movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So once upon a time, I probably would have said uh, Star Wars, or at least the original trilogy, of course, is is, is still a great, great trilogy. But uh, yeah, obviously what Disney's done with it lately has kind of soured my opinion, even on the originals, sadly. Um, So that Mm. that being said, Lord of the Rings, that that right there is one of the best trilogies of all times. Okay. uh, Great story. They have had a few people recently talk about that. So I get that. So you're into the sci-fi type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well-written sci-fi and, uh, you know, stuff that has just both good storytelling and, uh, you know, fun and exciting ways to tell the story too. Okay. I have learned having done this now for three years that, that reading books is falling by the wayside. I think YouTube has killed books. So with that being the case, if you read, what is your favorite book? Or if you've read a book, what is your favorite? (laughs) So yes, I am in the millennial generation. So so reading reading is hard sometimes, but uh, uh, it's funny, funny, you know, you bracket that with a movie question because probably my favorite book is in fact, Lord of the Rings. Okay. Um, yeah, because yeah, Tolkien is just an excellent author and the great mythology, great great ethos that that that's explained in the books, and you know, there's a whole lot of depth to it that you can't that you don't get in the movies. Uh, okay, and that was going to be my follow up question. Okay, so you obviously the books can go in much greater detail than any movie yeah. can, but having read the books and seen the movies, do the movies do the book good justice? Uh, I think so. Yes. Uh, I think that, you know, obviously there's differences, but I think, I think it does a fantastic, um, justice to the books. And again, relative to today's, 
uh, Hollywood and, and movie creations, it's the, the adaptations are, of books. It's it's just nothing nothing to compare. Um, so yeah, I, I believe it makes a good adaptation of the books, but I know there are there are Lord of the Rings nerds that that would disagree with me. Okay, well, that, I mean, it's it's always nice to hear when, yeah. um, like, I read the hunt for red October and I've seen the movie and I think the movie did a very good job of correlating the story from the book onto the screen. So it's always nice to, to hear that. Yeah. Uh, and when, when I was a, a bit younger, probably about 10 years ago, I used, I used to read a bunch of uh, like Navy seals memoirs, um, you know, and books, books of that nature, kind of like real, like real biographies and stories told from, from the people and I used you know found that fascinating I just haven't read very many of those um type of books recently but I always yeah I've always found like those those books have been very insightful into uh you know both both our military and uh, just, just good people in general okay now it sounds like uh with you being into science fiction you'd be in you might be into superheroes if so Who's your favorite superhero? If not, who's your favorite historical figure? So I am not into superheroes. Um, okay, I'm not either. So or anything like that? Yeah, you would you would think I'd go with the territory of being a nerd and engineer, um, which you know I'm sure we'll get into more of my background later. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, I'm I, I'm not I'm not interested in superheroes and Marvel and whatever. Um, just because I've, I've always found them childish and like the story's very childish. And like the movies are very repetitive, um, so just yeah, not something that that uh, that I'm not interested in. Um, and like I guess historical figure, I, I don't know. There's a bunch that I really appreciate and really like, but I don't know if there's any one like historical person that I just think is like like the guy. Um, but you know, a lot of great. There's a lot of great people like Teddy Roosevelt. Um, I think as far as president, presidents go, I think he was a fantastic president. Um, I don't know. I'm sure I could come up with a list of names over history, but um, you, you you can't go wrong with the president who created the national park system. So yeah, exactly. It's all good. And avid hunter yeah. guy was not afraid to, you know, go to another country and do what needed to be done. Right. So, yeah. I, lo I love his foreign policy too. Yeah. The, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll go do what we need to do, but we're not going to be warmongers either. You know? Nope. Yeah, he was a he was a good president. Mm -hmm. All right, so your your favorite gun and your favorite caliber. Now, this could be a gun that you know could just be something you've always wanted. It could be something you have in your own collection. It could be whatever. And then, obviously, the favorite caliber it doesn't have to be married to the gun. Um, I mean, I, I'm I'm a simple man. I, I would say. Um, you know, there, I don't have any like historic firearm that is is a big favorite, um, but uh, you know, so I, I really enjoy my uh, CZ Shadow too. I, I think it's it's my favorite gun or my uh, AR-15 that I've that I've built. Um, I think they're both fantastic firearms, fantastic platforms. Um, and favorite favorite caliber, probably two two three five five six, just because it's such a versatile round um, that can be used for so many different things. Um, that uh yeah i just think it's a great caliber uh but yeah as far as like handguns yeah like i said the shadow two man i just i just the more i shoot it the more i'm in love with it it's just a great gun 
Now you were telling me um, off air that you you live in Colorado. Have you shot at Cameo? I have not. Um, okay. So I, I live uh, I live in Denver, and uh, the last time Cameo was a thing that we could that we could have events at. Uh, kind of during that time, I was I was more busy personally and and didn't afford the time or the money to, to go over to Cameo because um, it's uh, it's a four hour drive I think from Denver so um, so just at, yeah at the time I wasn't able to go to an event but I I'm aware of Cameo and have seen um, <laughs> well obviously the drama I'm aware of that but the the, the range itself I'm vaguely aware that it, it's actually a really fantastic range so it's a really it's a shame that uh, we can't host matches there anymore. Yeah, uh, and the, I was hoping you had been there just so you know I could ask you about the range and we can talk about because I'm I hope that at some point the Supreme Court helps all of us out and we can use that range. Uh, so I was that's why I was asking. So hopefully, right. fingers crossed. Right. Yeah, I, I believe the the best case right now is out of California to overturn mag bans, but um, right. And it's you know stuck in the Ninth Circuit, which that means it could be another ten years. Who knows? Right. But yeah, yeah. Cameo. From what I've what I've been told and what I've seen, it's a fantastic range, probably the best in in the state. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, I just haven't have didn't didn't get the chance to shoot there. Okay. So, Kurt, did you have you always lived in Colorado? Um, so I grew up in Colorado, but I did live in Texas for about three years down in Houston. When I, uh, after my undergraduate, I went to work down there. And uh, and then it's, you know, a couple years later, a few years later, I decided to go to grad school. And I've uh, been back in Colorado ever since. All right. So I lived in Houston for two years on the western edge of the 610 loop in Katy. Like literally just on the other side of outside of harris county where where did you live in houston uh so i lived in cyprus so i guess just just uh north of you that's correct. yeah yeah you were literally like north northeast of me there okay yeah yeah i was probably yeah. there a few days before you were though so <laughs> yeah I, was I lived there from 95 to 97 yeah yeah it was a few days before me <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I was there from 2012 to 2016. Okay. Yeah. So what did you get your degree in? So I got my undergraduate degree in uh, petroleum engineering um, and then went to work down in down in Houston, right? Because that's where... That makes perfect sense, yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, you know, worked there for a few years and then the market shifted because, you know, oil and gas, it's always going up and down. Um, and it, you know, it just became a good opportunity to go back to grad school. Came back to Colorado, went to Colorado School of Mines uh, for my master's in mechanical engineering. Hmm. And then after I graduated from that, I, when I was looking for jobs again, uh, my old advisor from petroleum engineering called me up and said, hey, I've got funds for a PhD. Do you, do you want to do it? And so I, I got suckered in with the with the what if syndrome. It's hard to turn down somebody who's like, "Hey, I've got money for you to do a PhD." Um, yeah. So I uh, so I said wow, yes. and uh, I've I've been doing that ever since. So about six years now, and I'm almost done. 
Okay. Yeah. So, wow. So you're about to be Dr. Kurt McKenna. Yes, sir. Very nice. Yes, sir. And what is your PhD in, if you don't mind my asking? Um, so the degree is uh, petroleum engineering again. Um, okay. How, however, my research, so petroleum engineering, for those of you who aren't aware of the oil and gas industry, is a very multidisciplinary um, and a very, even though it's a very small industry, it's also very diverse in terms of uh, technical disciplines as well. So my research itself is uh, applying artificial intelligence and specifically um, artificial neural networks to drilling data in order to use the drilling data, things like weight, force, torque, RPM, uh, rate of penetration to using the AI to convert that information into what is the rock properties. So things like rock hardness and so on. Um, and AI is, uh, is particularly adept at classification. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's a very interesting, uh, way of doing it. Yeah. Rate of penetration. I thought we were getting way off track for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, say what? So we're gonna turn I feel like we just switched topics. <laughs> casual engineers podcast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now how much of your degree deals with geology? Uh, I would say probably 50% of it. Um, okay. I, yeah. So, so my, my PhD research in particular, the, the school owns a mine up in the mountains here in Colorado and it is a, uh, a metamorphic, uh, hard rock mine, which is different than oil and gas. But, uh, we have a, a coring rig that I actually spent probably, probably about four years, uh, on the rig. Uh, putting together sensors and then just drilling holes in the mountain um, in order to collect data and collect rock uh, for my research itself. So it's, it was very much, it was very fun being a PhD student while going up, going underground, getting greasy, turning wrenches and, and uh, yeah, making hole in rock that uh, yeah, very, very unique experience. Um, so if, Hey, if anyone is in the area and wants to go underground, let me know and I can uh, give you a tour uh, under an active mine. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'm like a, a I'm like a geology <clears throat> hobbyist. I don't know a whole lot about it, but, but I, it, it interests the heck out of me. Yeah. I, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of people make fun of people that like rocks, but I, you know, I like rocks. It's, it's geology <laughs> is, is very fascinating because it, it tells the the history of the world, um, you know, beyond humanity. It, it tells uh, how the earth was made. And, and I think that's, that's awesome. Do you, Kurt, do you listen to podcasts? Um, I do sometimes I used to a lot, but I haven't a lot anymore. I've been addicted to YouTube's rabbit hole, which is a bad thing. I admit. Oh but, uh... <laughs> yeah. I did that till four in the morning the other day. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, it's bad. The reason I'm asking is, have you heard of the geology flannel cast? Mm -mm. No, I'll have to check it, it out. It is the only geology podcast that I'm aware of. I subscribe to it. I listen to it religiously. Yeah. <laughs> but you said something that they have in their intro, which is like some recording from a movie or like a TV show, movie or whatever. And the guy's like, uh -huh. I like, I love rocks. I love rocks. <laughs> as soon as you said that uh -huh. oh that that clip was in my head <laughs> that was hysterical yeah uh, and i was talking to um i think it was linda turnbull i had her on 
and where she was living in Utah, I was like, do you know you're surrounded by three super volcanoes? She was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, and then come to find out her and Max would go and ride dirt bikes. And what she didn't know was she was riding on a volcano. Yeah. So it's little things like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the Western U S is, uh, yeah. Filled with volcanoes. It's very interesting. Like, like Colorado yeah. has, uh, uh, in Southern Colorado has, like the largest or the second largest volcanic eruption in, in earth's history um super volcano and it's one of those like you never know in, until people tell you yeah wow so what e8 or e7 then eruption uh i think uh i think uh vei9 uh that's what i mean vei I don't, yeah, yeah. I, I think um a nine. Oh, i i was thinking it went up to eight okay maybe i Maybe I'm wrong, but it was like literally one of the longest ever. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I want to say the, I want to say the U S has had three of the top four. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we're, we're, we're doomed at some point. It even even puts Yellowstone to shame. Like how, how how big of an eruption uh, it it was. So, well, I mean, it's, it's it's a, 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 an extinct volcano now. So pretty much impossible to erupt again, but. Yeah. right however <laughs> it it did happen not not totally impossible either yeah right exactly yeah. so is it really extinct <laughs> all right so you grew up in colorado yep. did you grow up hunting fishing that type of stuff uh nope uh so i i did i did boy scouts and so i you know did a lot of backpacking and, and camping um but not not a lot of hunting, and uh, just my uh, my parents just weren't interested in hunting. Like they were okay with outdoorsing and all that, but uh, you know they my you know my parents were very much of the nature of like you can buy you can buy meat at the store, so why would you go out and hunt it, right? <laughs> so so and then I, it, my dad had guns when we were young, but at some point my parents must have had a moral panic because they sold all of them and. Uh, uh, didn't really get into guns, uh, until I was really a teenager. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no. no so how did that happen? How did you get into guns? So my, my best friend growing up, him and his dad went hunting, uh, every year. Uh, and you know, he, he was, his, his dad was like the revolver guy. Um, you know, the classic black, black powder muzzle loading hunting, uh, revolver guy and, and his so the jay was, slater of colorado yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly um um you know cool 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 dude um but uh yeah he uh uh so like they would take me uh you know when they would get ready you know practice to go hunting or something they would always take me to the range or we go clay shooting or something and uh he his dad was a uh uh I think a like professional skeet shooter at one point, like really into competitive skeet shooting. Um, um, that was, I think that was, you know, before I was a kid even, but, uh, but yeah, he was, he, so, so we, we'd go shooting a lot, um, or I'd go shooting with them and, uh, you know, the black powder, uh, they explained the reason for it isn't just cause they were like, like being old boons, but because, uh, you know, hunting's super popular here in Colorado. So, uh, long rifle season is always full of, you know, idiots and stuff. So their, their excuse was they, you know, they could go out in the woods and not worry about getting shot by people that don't know what they're doing. 
um but they also you know made a whole deal out of out of you know where you know where get getting the leather get up and canvas tents and you know and like horses and everything so, so oh yeah, wow really enjoyed it yeah I okay said, I, I, I never went but i but i saw many pictures and heard many stories um and then i want to say uh you know when i was i guess i i didn't buy my first gun until i was in college and so at that point i was pretty into video games and i think that was part of it of like hey let's go get some some guns and you know just have have fun like learn learn you know instead of just on screen it'd be cool to go to the range and, and learn how to be proficient with it and uh you know i you know learned a great deal about like the importance of self-defense from from my friend and his dad um as well as just gun safety in general from them um and so i uh yeah ended up just getting interested and decided to uh, my very first gun was i want to say it was a a chinese knockoff of a of a remington 870. i believe i still oh, wow. have it somewhere and it's an absolute garbage gun but i had a lot of fun <laughs> does it work it does, it does work. okay <laughs> that's all that matters yep um and then of course like everybody else i bought a mose in the gun right um that was had had good fun with that and I just, I just remember being being so mad that uh like at least the rifle i had which i assume was kind of like how all of the rifles were was zeroed for when the bayonet was attached so when the bayonet oh, wasn't attached wow. it would drastically shift the zero like by like i don't even like off the top of my head i would say at least 12 moa shift if not bigger than that um wow between the and i I, obviously i don't want to always shoot the gun with the the bayonet attached in fact i rarely did so i like (laughs) remember taking taking the gun out to like my front porch with like uh, a block of wood and a big hammer and just like wailing on the front side to like readjust it and and then it was sufficiently zeroed in my mind after that uh wow okay And, then, and for uh, those of you pistol shooters who don't deal in MOA, that's 12 inches at 100 yards. Yeah. Yeah, and I want to say it was probably even more than that. I'm just ballparking off the top of my head now. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and then uh, after I turned 21, I bought a, uh, a Springfield XD45. And that was actually on recommendation of my friend's dad because he, uh, he, like, he was a revolver guy, but he, he I guess he got one of those and was convinced that that semi-autos were were okay enough you know and so he actually convinced me to get one of those because it's still 45 still man's caliber and uh and i've got i've got big hands so it it, like the gun fit me well and i enjoyed it um and that was i i also had an xd45 at one time yeah And and i still have it actually and i uh i even so like you know i i smoke cigars and uh i even have like a uh, Cuban cigar box that I got like back when I was you know first when I first got the thing so I got this Cuban cigar box and then like got a foam insert and cut it out so like the you know like the the gun fits inside the, the cigar box and uh, uh, so it would be that cool dude that like you want a cigar and it's just like my uh, my, uh, my 45 and I, I still I still keep that gun on my nightstand just just because <laughs> okay I like it yeah, yeah. cool so how did you find USPSA then? 
Yeah, so when I moved back to Colorado for my uh, for my masters, so my my dad had known I was into shooting, and and his his whole deal was always, if you think you're good at something, go compete, find out you're not, and find out what it means to get good, right? Um, so so I was like, okay, you know, this would be it'd be fun to to shoot, and so. Um, so he actually went out and found USPSA, and uh, and basically he's like, "All right, we're going." <laughs> so so he, he got he got himself. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember what he bought at the time. Maybe like a Jericho or something, and and uh, and so we went we went to our first USPSA match and and got immediately hooked. Um, and I, I think too for him it was it was a like a father son bonding thing of like, you know, I'm been out of state and. Um, for, for years and and uh uh and so coming back in the state you wanted to do something together so we so we we did that and and yeah his, his logic was definitely right of like if you think you're good go out and compete against actual people that know what they're doing and find out you're not good um, <laughs> right yeah and so so that yeah that's that's how i got into it uh, i shot that xd probably for about six months um and then uh my dad actually bought me the shadow two the my first shadow two as like a uh like a i think he got it as a graduation president present for my for my, my masters um nice so we, yeah so it was it was a nice gift and that that really that really settled the addiction in at that point, you know right uh, yeah at that point now you have a nice gun to shoot now there's no reason not to. Yeah, you got the exactly. crack addiction and the gun, so you're good. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It, I swear it's like crack. It, I mean, everybody who goes, mm. it's like, I shot it one time and I got hooked. Like, yep, it's crack. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what division are you shooting? So nowadays I'm shooting carry optics. Uh, it's, my, it's my main division. Um, there was a time where I did PCC for, for, uh, for a, a few years, two or three years, something like that. And then... Uh, uh, at least locally, I got tired of shooting the PCC because there weren't any good. There was only like one other good PCC shooter that lived about an hour away from me, and so we would occasionally uh, shoot matches together. And so I just got bored, kind of beating all the old guys that were shooting PCC. Um, <laughs> and, and, I, and at that time, uh, so I, I, I made GM, and I, I like I went to the Area Three match, and like that was my first ever major, and and. Uh, uh, like level three major and I was uh you know I had fun I, I placed about as well as I expected to which was um I don't even remember now but like maybe 10th GM like one of the lowest GMs um but I you know I had fun I learned learned a lot and uh, but I came back from that I was like all right do I want to spend another year uh and try to be competitive at area matches um or do I want to it and but be bored locally which is most of my shooting anyway or do I want to like switch to Kind of where everyone's going to, which is including the heat in our state, uh, which was carry optics. So I decided, hey, you know, I'd, r- I'd rather shoot with other good people m- most of the time than than uh, you know spend thousands of dollars to go shoot with good people I don't know some of the time. Um, there you go. Yeah, so I did, so I did switch to carry optics, and I was really garbage at it at first because going from <laughs> rifle only to pistol is. Uh, is a big transition, but, uh, I quickly yeah. picked up and yeah, now I'm, uh, 
I'm actually uh, percentage wise a master's in carry optics now. Um, and uh, yeah, really enjoy it. Okay, awesome. So I assume it's your Shadow 2? Yep. Yep. Okay. So I, uh, Shadow 2, uh, I use the 507 comp on it now. Um, oh, how do you like that? Uh, I think it's I think it's fantastic optic. I think if you're in the market for a new optic, that's the one to buy. If you already have an SRO, uh, don't get rid of it and get a 507, right? But if you're looking for a new gun, new optic, get a 507, right? That's that's kind of like my logic for it. I think it's a fantastic optic. I think the window is better than the SRO. In what just way? Like, uh, I just feel like visually you can see more. Even though like the width is the same, I think the corners adds a little more visual space. Look. Okay. The the, do you think it's any more? Is is the clarity any better? Uh, if it's any better, it's it's very slight, and I think it has slightly less distortion. And I think part of that goes oh, okay. The square window is at least visually makes the distortion, you know, reduces it. Um, and then dot wise, I use the the two MOA dot on it. I think the the other Ooh. reticles are just too too noisy. Um, uh, on it and and I, i've come so because i i shoot one moa dots on my rifles and I, i've come to uh, even on the pistol like the smaller dots better i know that's kind of controversial but uh uh to me you know I, i've got good enough vision with with my glasses or contacts that uh, uh just turning the brightness up on the smaller dot i think is to me i can see it and it's more accurate for me than using a big dot um and uh you know, right, and 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 I think like whether I pick up the dot really depends on my more of my mental focus, more so than than uh, the dot itself, the equipment itself. Okay, red or green dot? Uh, red for me. Okay. Do you have any color vision deficiency? No. No. Okay. Because I know, like for me, I do. I have a red green color issue. So the red for me, I don't think I could ever do a one or two MOA dot. I just wouldn't be able to pick it up very well. But the green, on the other hand, I could do a one or two MOA dot because I can pick that up way easier than than the red. So I almost feel like something from Hollow Sun. I'm almost wondering if the ring would actually help me because I might pick it up quicker than just the dot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it definitely comes down to like eyesight as well. Like what, what is the best, um, like dot and reticle size, uh, eyesight's a huge part of it, obviously, cause you need to see it. Right. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it goes even beyond that because even when I had 2010, like I had 2010 vision probably till I was 40 years old. Mm. And then I had 2012 up to about almost 50 years old and then all of a sudden i needed readers and now it's like what the hell's going on mm -hmm. um but even then the red with that red green um issue it's like red just did not stand out so I, i've never been a fan of using red for anything because my eyes just don't pick up red the way most people's eyes pick up red so yeah yeah that's fair so yeah uh, so yeah, i i have a green dot uh that i, I bought one to test on uh i have a, a taurus tx22 comp as well 
um, to shoot our, our steel action uh, matches here, um, which I don't do that often. But um, So I, I did pick one up. It's sitting on that gun. And, like, I've got no problem using it. I think it just depends on, like I said, like, yeah, your, your vision, your eyesight. Yeah. Color All of those things. Like, if you have an astigmatism, the smaller dots is a problem, right? And, like, brighter dots are a problem. So, yeah, all those things. I think it just personal personalize what works best for you. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you. And that, and that's why I wanted to point that out because there's so many different pieces of vision. It's not just, oh, can do you have 2020? It goes way beyond that. So yeah, exactly. And like same same thing with grips too. Like uh, you know, I shoot Shadow Twos, right? And so everyone makes a big deal about the grips on Shadow Twos. And like my best advice is figure out what works for your hands, right? Everyone's hands are different, different sizes, different shapes, like. The grips all just depend on what works best for you, um, and and the way I've I figured out how to do that is I've ended up buying a whole bunch of different ones, different sizes, shapes, weights, and just went out and tested them. Now, obviously, that's an expensive route to do it, but um, yeah. You know, but just in general, it's it's find out works what works best for your hands, and I think that you know when shooting, like that's like the two fundamentals I think for shooting are eyesight, like vision and grip and if you can get your hands to fit to the gun and you can see you know good target focus and you can still see the sights then you know that's that's all you need for equipment um and then you need it to be reliable obviously but uh um, right right and, and and so that's like always my biggest biggest advice to people is just like find the grip that works for you rather than just like what's what's the current in thing um when it comes to the, you know equipment and I agree with that because like that XD fit my hands very nicely. Yeah. I liked the feel of those, of that grip. Yeah. Um, so I, I wholeheartedly agree. I can't do a small grip because I don't feel like I can really grab the thing. I like a, a chunkier <laughs> grip, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, that's, I, I prefer that. So I, I, yeah. I like those much. Better. And I agree with you. I mean, that, those are the, that's why I don't like the, I think the grip angle matters too, which is why I'm not a big fan of the Glock. Mm -hmm. It feels right. okay in my hand, but the grip angle itself is different than what I'm so used to. So yeah. I like a, a chunkier 1911 style grip. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. I, th I think, you know, Glocks were, were great for a lot of people, but like for me, mm -hmm. the grip angle is just, just doesn't work. Yeah. And then because like, I have kind of meaty hands, like I, like the I get a lot of the slide bite as well. It just doesn't work for Glocks for me. Yeah. I'm with you. So at what point now? So you, you've been competing, you did some PCC stuff, now you're doing carry optics. At what point did you decide to create your Instagram page of competition shooting analytics? So uh, that actually goes back to when I was still shooting PCC. So in 2021, um, so I I had shot. Um, so I made GM, and I made GM on uh, diamond cutter, um, which I don't remember the number of diamond cutter, but the I, I I shot a 20 hit factor on diamond cutter. Whoa! And uh, <laughs> which it you know in and of itself is is kind of a funny story. Um, so, 
so I went I went to this match. I set up the classifier, right? Like they they had me set up the classifier. I, you know, I was helping set up that day, and uh, and then we come to go to shoot it. And this is back when you could still like pay to 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 reshoot. And I guess you still can pay. pay yeah, you still can. Yeah, five bucks for a reshoot. Yeah, so so I went and shot it, and I shot like a like a fourteen hit factor, and um, uh, one of my mentors on on the stage, he you know he was just jokingly he's like you're gonna pay the five dollars and i just want you to shoot it full retarded just go full speed go full, full retarded. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Cause, uh, cause I, I, well, I i really love pcc because i can just i can just go full tilt no no fucks given uh <laughs> speed and it can get yeah and 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 i you know i can either throw a lot of shots where i can connect them all and it's a lot of glory right so so he wanted me to do it again so i was like all right sure sure so we set up and so diamond cutter for those aren't aware for pistol it's a turn and draw and there's four targets that are all partials with no shoots on them at 10 yards i think off the top of my head and uh so it's a turn and draw and shoot with pcc you can do it uh you know it's facing downrange, so you're facing the targets right so my second go I shoot it in two seconds flat, so eight shots, two seconds flat, uh, with all all alphas, and so I ended up with a twenty hit factor. So the match wow. director, the match director, he was on my squad, and he's also um, like an, he was like an M class shooter at the time, uh, PCC shooter, and so he saw he me do it, and he's like, "Fuck it, I'm doing it again." So he goes <laughs> he goes to his car because he was shooting like open, I think that day. He goes to his car, gets his PCC out, comes to shoot a second gun. And he shoots it, and I think he got like a 16 or something, and uh, or maybe an 18 even. And uh, uh, and then another guy, uh, which he told me later, like like six months later or something. But another guy, uh, like there were like people were like, no fucking way, these guys shot that high <laughs> factor, right? So so like before the match was over, like he went out and measured everything to make sure we'd set it up correctly, and we did. Um, but uh, so so I was one, you know, after that day, I was like, uh, so Derek from Practical Shooting Insights at that time was posting, uh, was like starting to post some like high, high scores on different, different classifiers. And so I, I was hoping, I was like, well, you know, will he ever post Diamond Cutter high scores? Because I want to know, like, am I, where, do, where, where does that 20 hit factor stack up? Uh, well, he never did. He, he he got into other other stuff, but uh, uh, so I uh, basically was like, all right, well, I I know how to program, and I can do data analytics pretty well because that's literally what my PhD is 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 a data analytics project. So I I went and wrote a script to go and download all of the USPSA data off of USPSA. Yeah, that's that's diamond cutter. Yeah. Um, so I I'm went just cropping it. Yeah, so I went and downloaded all, all of the script, all of the uh, uh, the scores off the USPSA off their website, and uh, so I looked it up. I was like, "All right, where do I stack up?" I uh, let me hold up. I, I need to I need to pull up the the okay as well. I don't think I've ever shot diamond cutter. Looking at it. It does look like it'd be a fun one. It also looks like if you're not careful, it, it would crush you. Yeah, so it's a it's a low it's a low point uh, match or it's a low point. Sorry, um, stage. 
so and with the no shoots that like exactly right if you're if you're not yeah. careful it will eat your It'll, lunch yeah you'll zero that quick <laughs> yeah um so yeah so i've got so I got and it's here. virginia count oh yep. lord yep virginia count um eight shots and you know those hard partials and there's like maybe 50 percent a zone and they're in weird ways too like you can see like the center two targets kind of like down the middle of the a zone and right the, the a zone <clears throat> so it's, it's a pretty tough classifier but if you land your shots you can score high right um if you hit, yeah if you hit all alpha even at the slower time you can actually score pretty well um so so yeah so i downloaded all the data i've got it here and i've got all of the data through 2022 i haven't i haven't well, i guess i did download 2023 so this includes uh 2023 up to about two months ago um and uh so my my score uh let's say all divisions so i'm number one on all divisions of 20 hit factor so high score and the the next highest score at least when i first downloaded it in 2022 the next highest score was the match director that shot it with me and then uh after that was like a let's see dates here Oh, so that's 2018. Okay. So yeah, so the next score is a, a 19 hit factor and then the match director and then a 17 hit factor. And so like, yeah, pretty much blew, blew that out of the water. And the, all the high scores are all PCC. Um, the reason is because you don't have to turn and draw, right? It's just, just immediately right. up on the target. Um, no reloads, no nothing. So so uh so i was like oh yeah sweet so i i do have the all-time high on on one uh classifier stage um but it also made me wonder too at, at the same time back then it was is because uh, i remember before i switched to pcc i was shooting production and right before i switched i would have made a class but they had just updated all the hit factors and mm. they had changed them and i think that was that was probably 2018, but they had changed all the hit factors and it was obvious that it was significantly more difficult than it was before they updated them in 2018. And so part of what I wanted to find out was obviously, do I have the high score, which I do. And um, <laughs> not only that, but what, like, what's the, like, how is high hit factor actually set? Right. Uh, it, because if they all updated them, you know, the common logic is a high hit factor means everyone assumes it means the highest score ever shot, right? Because that that's what high hit factor kind of insinuates. It's it's in the name, right? The highest score ever shot. And so right. I, I wanted to look it up. It's like, well, what is that actually true? Um, especially since they updated them all at once or a bunch of them all at once, it was a massive jump. Is 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 it actually the highest score? And if not, what's the method that they set it, right? You know, uh, and we've heard all sorts of different logic that they use, like the average of the best five, the average of the best three, or you name it, right? They 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 come up with that. So 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 I, I download all all the data, and so that was like my big my two my two motivations to downloading the data and starting the Instagram account was how do they actually do this? What do the scores really look like? 
right? Like, like, is there a, is, you know, is it a normal distribution? Do we have a, a bell curve, a skill bell curve? Like, what does that actually look like? <clears throat> like when we think of like a lot, another thing com people commonly think is <clears throat> 95% should be the top 5% of scores, right? The top five percentile, right? And then the should be GM and from 85 to 95 should be, so like everyone who's like above 85% of the scores, right? So the top 15% of the scores should be M class, right? And, you, and and as you go down the list. So that's like the common logic is there should be that top 5% should be, uh, should be GM, right? Because that's how our hit factor works for, you know, when you look at, you type in the calculator, right? You got, you got, uh, say, you know, 85%, you're like, all right, awesome. That's a master. So that's a top 15% score. And, and the reality is performance is on a bell curve, um, to some degree. And so that's actually not true. So, so this, the, oh. the, the top 5%, um, does not correlate to the top five percentile because actual performance is on a bell curve. It's nonlinear um, versus, you know, percentile or like the percent of your hit of the high hit factor is linear. So it's a, uh, it's a misconception as well as, you know, people that say go to nationals and they're a class and they're like, and they said, all right, I'm going to make sure I'm 75% of you know, I, I like have a finished match score of seventy five percent because I'm an A class shooter, so I expect seventy five percent. Well, that's not true because again, performance is on a bell curve, and so when you show up and shoot against Niels or Christian Seiler or whoever it whoever it is, right, um, your your performance relative to them is not linear, right? So so if you're a A class shooter and you expect to shoot seventy five percent, like that's tough. That's not going to be an easy day or an easy right race, right <clears throat> yeah it's not gonna be an easy match to, to hit shoot that much and if we really if you if you are able to shoot 75 percent of meals you really should be probably master level shooter or a high a right like like you, i agree if you're, if you're a yeah. low a you don't expect to shoot that high um and so then that's and that's just like the truth of it right so so uh so yeah so i looked up uh and so i started making making charts of of <clears throat> what do the classifiers look at look like and and uh, as well as since i've been able to download the data i can look at like how many how many gms are there what's the breakdown in divisions participation um the state uh participation that was a little bit more difficult to find uh, to figure out but i was able to do that um um and uh you know just looking at other analytics aspects of of shooting as well and, and of, of major shooting. So like I have, I have one post <clears throat> where you can see the, uh, looking at the 2022 uh, classifier or nationals uh, speaking on that non-linearity. And it's very interesting because it's very linear all the way up until about 95%. And then that top 5% just skyrockets above everybody else. Um, now, where is that 2022 that you just mentioned? The so nationals. Yeah, that's uh, so. Here in this post, this is from uh, uh, twenty twenty two uh, nationals. Um, so I looked at every shooter at nationals, I, I and found their their classification percentage. So like, what what is their official classification percentage? And that's on the the x axis, and then the the match finish is on the y axis. Um, 
So like the mat match percentage, which you have the Laxus cropped out here. Um, but the, the very top line there, that's a, that's 100% match finish. Um, and you can see here in the classification is is it's very linear all the way up to about that 90% classification, 90-95%. And those, those top scores um, go very nonlinear very quickly. And a, a big part of that is because those guys mostly shoot majors, not classifiers. So that's part of why it's, it's that way. Um, so okay. the classification percentage comes from shooting majors. Um, but anyway, we see it like a nice, nice, clear, straight line, and then suddenly, boom, big, big uh, uh, jump in performance. And uh, Yeah. So it kind, of, it kind of points out that, like, classifiers and classification percentage only tells a small story, but there still is a good correlation between your classification and your actual match performance too at the same time. So it's, it's one of those that like it works, but it doesn't work, but it does work, but it doesn't work situations um, for, for classification. And, and it's funny you say that cause I've had some people on and it's been talked about a little bit. And one of the things they say is, you know, if like what you're saying, if, if they're um, a GM or we'll, we'll take master. I think that's a better one. Let's say their, their classification score is actually 85. So they're, they're just in the master rating. They're looking at an, you know, hoping an 80 or an 82 match performance at, at nationals, you know, they know there's going to be a dip there because of all of these things you're saying. Right. And I mean, I put my cursor where the 60 percentile, individual would cross and it's probably about 55 yeah and so at 80 percent it comes in at about 70 72 percent or so that yeah out. so if you were I, if you were 75 and you were expecting to finish 75 percent like that's tough and you can see there are there are a couple people around that like 75 percentile that the 75 classification percent that are you know see above the black line that did finish above 75 percent but uh uh it's you know it's it's above average if you will right well and and even so then i went to 90 just now and i yeah. put my cursor there i mean we're looking at right at 80 percent yeah so there is a big dip you're right yeah and if, if you look at the other uh posts on that post it's it's kind of true regardless of division here it's it kind of the same same axiom here now you have you have two lines here you have yeah, a red so, and a black so red red is limited 10 and limited um both oh are, yeah okay yeah i see it you up there can now. see even the limited 10 so i have the red line still being linear to 100 but you can even see really around the 90 percentile it, it still tails upwards um yeah yeah yeah, and then PCC in production because they were both wow. at the same same event. Yeah, it seems to be even a, a larger curve or a sooner curve. You know, like closer to the ninety percent mark. Yeah, or eighty actually. I mean, wow. Whoa, this is look at that revolver even starts what at about seventy five percent roughly, and then it curves upward pretty quickly. Wow. 
Now you've mentioned that you feel that the classifier system is broken in a way. What do you feel needs to be done to get it back on track? I wanted to say something. I guess I was muted. Um, you, you can see a uh, revolver here in red. Um, there's a great example of it's a small number of shooters, but the best shooters in revolver are phenomenal and above and beyond the rest. And you can see that like last little percentage point, there's a massive shift upwards, right? There's that. that yes. Right. And that and that's because there, there's probably, you know, there, you know, four or five revolver shooters that are hands and you know, significantly better than everyone else. There's a small number of World War shooters nationally. And so, uh, so it's really obvious that the best shooters are significantly better than the average shooter, right? Um, or like, and I would, I would call average really being people that are 95% and lower in USPSA kind of being the average shooter versus uh, like the super squad guys, right? And that's true really kind of in any division. Um, so really that like GM and super GM is a, is a big difference. Uh, but to look at, to look at, uh, uh, classifiers specifically and why I think they're broken, let me, or have, you know, problems. Let me send you a link of a, an actual classifier here that we can look at. Okay. Um, just so we can look at, at the bell curves. So, so this is TikTok, 1305 TikTok. Um, it's a off the table start and there's, there's four targets kind of in a, in a clock like pattern with a no shoot in between them. And it's, it's, uh, you know, shoot two at each target, reload off the table, shoot two. Um, right. So kind of like a standard classifier, you know, you got reloads, you've got no shoots, um, even off the table, off the table starts so like it, it's, it should be kind of relatively open, right. To, to open in terms of like you can shoot it and there you get you got the scores here um so to, to explain this graph let me explain this graph first right um so there's there's a lot going on in this graph that uh so there's a lot of information being dumped in your face and presented in a, in a, in a single single picture here so um if you could i guess zoom out a tiny bit what would you like me to zoom in on or, particularly i guess just to see the the y-axis label the what label? The y-axis label, the percentage of shooters here. A little more. Yeah. How about like there we yeah, go? That's good. Okay. okay. So um, we've I've got three different graphs being displayed on one, right? So we got the bell curve on the bottom. That's that's what's called the uh, you know uh, the probability density function, and then under that is the histogram for the shooters. Um, sorry, let me back up. Right. So on the, on the X axis, which is, which is on the bottom, that's the hit factor. So that's all of the scores, uh, in terms of hit factor from zero to the maximum score or about, I guess about 13 here. Um, and then, uh, on the Y axis is percentage, right? So from zero to 100 represents zero being, um, you know, the worst shooter and 100 being the best shooter. And what that means is at the 100% mark means all of the shooters shot less than that, than this hit factor, right? So, so we go to this top one, um, this, you know, one right next to your cursor, that's like a, a 12 something. Uh, so every score underneath that is, 
you know fits below that that 12 hit factor so that's what the the 12.5 hit factor whatever that is um that's what that's what percentage of shooters means right so if we go to like the uh if we go to six um that on the graph is about 40 percent, right so 40 percent of shooters shot a six hit factor or less so that, that that's what this the the percentage in this graph is saying so the the bell curve and the histogram on the bottom now means is from this percentage to this percentage this is the number percentage of, of shooters that shot uh this score right so um the way i have the the bins for the histogram are is like half uh half um class right so like from c to b right I, so there's there's two different uh there's two bins for the c class and then from b to a right there's two different bins from b to a so so like the 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 average here or the median um is is what is that about a seven or so um and that's 20 22 percent of shooters have shot between uh uh basically between c and b right so like the the middle of c to to b okay so that's that's what the histogram on the bottom is showing is so that's that's called the probability density function um and that's just putting a curve to the histogram and then the the s curve that shows all the blue data points that is the cumulative density function and that is again the the you know x percentage of shooters shot this hit factor or less um uh, and so the the blue the blue dots are the actual data points. So this is all of the scores, in for this post in particular, it's from 2017 to 2022. So all of the scores during that time, uh, for open division, plotted on this plot right here. So, uh, and then what I do is I curve fit the the CDF to it, and then I use the CDF to define the probability density function, right? So. <clears throat> As you can see, the the it's not a, a it's not a perfect fit because uh, what I what I actually use here is a is a Weibull distribution, which is a modification of the normal distribution. Um, so, you know, real performance here is not a perfect normal distribution or a perfect bell curve, but it's pretty close, as you might as as it looks, right? It's pretty close. Okay. Um, so on the these vertical lines here, I have you know high hit factor G M M A B C an average and what those lines are is here's the the formal definition of what what the cutoff is for each classification and what you can see here in the upper right is there's a score that's higher than high hit factor right yes um and then it goes down the list from there right so every single classifier look at so like if you click over to the next next line Right, so limited, same same deal. There's a bunch of scores higher in hit factor, and if we go slide yeah. further to the right, you know, carry optics. So I got all the divisions here in this post, um, and and you can see, you know, everyone kind of performs in this nice, clean, uh, prob you know, normal distribution. You can see in carry optics even more so. Look how close of a match that is to that distribution. Yeah, that's almost perfect. Right, and oh, another thing to point out is if you look down at the zero at the at zero is because we don't uspsa doesn't record negative hit factors right if, if you're less than zero it posts it as zero um so essentially what that does is that shifts the curve up slightly um kind of like well truncates the curve uh, still at 100. okay um so it's not so you 
Right, because because we can't go lower than zero in the score, you know, in the formal officially recorded scores, um, you know, we don't have a perfect uh, tail. But that's you know that's fine. It's you know real data, right? Um, right. Um, but we keep you know no matter what classifier we look at, we we get a bunch that are higher in high hit factor, right? And everyone conforms pretty accurately to to a normal distribution or really a weighable distribution if you're into statistics. Um, which is which is close to a, a normal distribution um <clears throat> and since we're looking at carry optics let me look at the scores for that so from 2017 to 2022 there were 5770 official scores for carry optics right and the average hit factor here is that, that 5.4 uh with the highest being 11.37 right so that's that's the 11.37 is higher than high hit factor right so that that means with the data here we got 0.07% at over 100% over the high hit factor. We've got uh 0.59% are GM, 3% are M, 9.7% are A, and 32% are B. So remember what I was saying earlier is we think Right when we commonly think of, of the scores, we think high hit factor is the highest score. It's not true. Um, we also think that top five percent is GM. Right. Well, in this case, it's 0.5 percent are GM scores or better. Right. And we we normally think then that the top 15 percent, which would be 85 percent, right, would be masters. In this case, it's three percent are master scores. That's crazy, right? and that's and that's the the nature of the bell curve, right? And the, the true nature of performance is right, and we, you know, lots of people talk about this and other aspects of life, um, and and how, and, but sports in particular is a very clear example of like the very tail of the curve is where you get the real big people you know the really high performing performers and the big names are in that tail tail of the curve on the right side of the curve here and it's very true in uspsa as well and these are just of the classifiers remember we looked at we looked at national scores where the people that are winning nationals are in the tail are in the far right tail of the of the top performers on the national scale too so even even the right. you know this this uh classifier right that the national performers are all in that like top 0.1 percent point or less right so it's uh um yeah so it, it, it's not it's not linear right um so is that a reason why it's broken no no because real performance is not linear right we got this bell curve that's real performance <clears throat> so where where it's broken is how is high hit factor set Okay, so in this for carry optics here, this is 0.59% RGM scores. If I go to uh, limited, it's 0.27%. Right now, I'll just read off the numbers here. Um, it, it, but I, I, I put the numbers on the post too for people that uh, will go and see it. For open, it's 0.3%. For PCC, it's 0.3%. For production, it's 0.4%. For shingle stack, it's 0.0% of the top scores are GM, 0.07%, right? So wow. in comparison to, on, on this particular stage, uh, TikTok, um, 
the GM scores on average are about 0.3% of the top scores of GM. However, for single stack, it's less, right? And it's significantly less, 0.07, okay? And we can also look at like the master scores, right? And, and compare those. And you get you get kind of a similar story. So so we would say in this for this particular example that this classifier is harder and perhaps significantly harder for single stack shooters than it is for everyone else, right? And and you know, we might think of some performance reason why that might be, but it's eight shots. So it shouldn't be it shouldn't be anything particular, right? It's eight shot reload, eight shot, and so it's not a performance thing. It's it's they have set the high hit factor to be more difficult for single stack shooters, for whatever reason, right? So uh, if you want to pull up the next post that I sent you, the the it's a fixed time classifier. Okay. There we go. Now we're yeah, on. So, um, so thunder and lightning. So. Looking through the wrong stuff myself. Okay, so thunder and lightning, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, so you're on the limited. Go, go to the open. Let's just look through all of them, right? So look at the open, right? So we can see the bell curve, right? The bell curve's not matching. We're no. not we're not fitting the bell curve. And on open, there's 2,792 attempts. So there's plenty of data within within this one that it should we should be able to come up with a bell curve, but we're not. Right. So if you go to the go to the next one, we'll just yeah scroll through all of them real quick. Carry optics, right before gets closer. It gets closer, right? And before we saw carry optics is a good fit. Limited, no bell curve. PCC, well, there's something weird going on there. There's no there's no yeah. tail. It just it's just at the peak, right? Uh, right. Production production oh. pretty good, right? Yeah, production that's close. Good. And single stack, that's pretty close. And yeah, revolver is reasonably close for the small numbers. Um, but so the reason why maybe production might work and this one doesn't. So fixed time. So this is a three string and there's a 75 foot position, a 45 foot position and a 30 foot position. And we've got strong hand and weak hand only. Right. So if you can imagine if you're an iron sight guy and you got a strong hand weak hand, like this might actually be a decent test of skill. Right. At, from 75 feet or, you know, uh, 25 yards and in. 25 yards, right. Um, so it might actually be a good measure. But for PCC, you're, you're using the – and I'm, I'm a DM PCC guy that I can – I can I – can, I'm, I'm allowed to complain about this one as somebody who's gamed the system on one of these fixed times. But for PCC, you can look at our scores here for PCC. Just imagine, right, we got, we got, a, we got a fixed time. So we've got, uh, I think, what is it? Uh, uh, I don't have the number of time, but it, it's, you know, it's, I don't know, it's like six seconds or something. So it's a pretty long time. And strong hand is the same normal position. And weak hand, if you're intelligent with a rifle, is still pretty easy to do, right? So, so we've got strong hand and weak hand. And... The other thing with weak hand or with a reload into weak hand too with the PCC is you could start on your weak hand side and reload into it, uh, you know, as basically switching shoulders. Like you can.
look at PCC and PCC, the percentage of scores that are GM, 10.7%, right? 10.7%. And remember on the last, on TikTok that we looked at, it was 0.3%. Right. Okay. So, so there's something wrong right there, right? That, that means that every stage is not created equal in terms of scoring up and, and getting a higher class. And what we find is for the fixed time stages is it's ridiculously easy for PCC shooters to make it. And for optics guns, it's a much easier as well. So like if, we, if you scroll up and look at the optics scores, it's kind of the same story. So carry optics, 1.4% GM open 5.3% GM um, limited 0.7%. Okay. So kind of back down in that, that spectrum. Okay. So how, so in my opinion, how classifiers are broken is we've got a couple things going on. One, there's no competitive equity between divisions. So people would say, well, you're competing against the, the division, the, you know, your own division, it doesn't actually matter. And I think that's not true. I, I think it does matter. And especially when your highest division uh, whatever your highest division is, your next highest, you know, if you switch to another division, you're only ever one rank lower than your highest division. So a guy like me, that GMPCC, I can pick up a revolver, and I did, shot it for four matches, and I'm instantly an M-class revolver shooter, right? So there's some competitive equity problems that, like, you know, fairness-wise, you know, if a really good revolver shooter like Jay Slater, like, if he struggled to make M, which I know he's a GM, but, if you know, if he's, like... Me, I just show up, shoot four matches, and I'm an M. And and so at that point, that the classification title is kind of meaningless if you can game it by switching divisions like that. So there, there's some competitive equity problems. Um, so like in my, my opinion, the classifier should be equally difficult percentage-wise between divisions to score this, you know, to get GM or to get masters. Um, um, and so on. So we have that competitive equity problem between divisions, right? Um, then uh, there's also between uh, stages, right? So obviously these fixed time stages are way easier for PCC and they are easier for the optics divisions as well. And so it's, it's you know, now if you're, if you're match director if you know your match director or your match director suddenly wants the game, the, the classification systems too, is you just go, go pick the fixed time stages, right? Go pick the fixed time stages and you can get a bunch of your shooters, especially PCC shooters to score up and class up really fast. Right. So, so that now, so now mm. there's a equity problem between stages. And so I, and in my opinion, that's also a problem because a lot of the way the reason a lot of the the stages are picked is well it's easy to set up or you know we shot it before or whatever and so you you might have stages um like TikTok, which are really difficult but are good measure of skill that people shoot all the time because it's easy to set up um but then another club could be running these fixed time stages and and boosting up their their PCC sh shooters really fast or or their open guys really fast, but like the revolver guys and the production guys don't want to shoot that match anymore because they're shooting these hard stages, right? And guess what? We see a drop in in production in these iron sight iron sight divisions, and I wouldn't say it's because of the 
classifiers per se, but you know, it, it, it's a contributing it factor. It just adds to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's fuel to the fire. Um, so, and so we could look at, and I have looked at uh, on my page, a whole bunch of classifiers and, and it's kind of the same story for all of them where um, we'll pull up, I'll just pull it randomly, pull up another one. Um, and typically what, what the scores look like to me is um, that limited for whatever reason, the high factors, high hit factors for the limited uh, make limited the hardest division to rank up. Production typically is the second hardest um, and then open and then carry optics and then PCC, right? So, so for whatever reason, there's, there's this disparity between divisions for the high hit factors for, you know, resulting, you know, the actual resulting scores. Um, and then every, you know, it doesn't matter which, which score you look at, the high hit factor is almost never the highest score ever. Right. And they, you know, whoever sets it. And I, I believe, I believe it's the director of marketing, uh, Jake Martins. I believe he does this actual, uh, recommendations for hit factor changes. However, it's done is it's not done in a clear, concise, repeatable manner for defining the, the hit factors. And, um, um, and, and they always go up, right? So that's another complaint you know, you'll hear at your local match is, oh, these stages shot out. It's been shot too many times. I think that concept of it being shot out is bullshit, right? Because if it's a good measure of skill, it should always be a good measure of skill for a stage, right? So the idea of it being shot out, it means that USPSA has continually raised the high hit factor to a point where it's too difficult is what that means. Um, versus raising it to a level that we're like, hey, we've shot this classifier across USPSA tens of thousands of times. So we know what good performance looks like. So we should select a hit factor that makes sense rather than continually increasing it. Right. So, so it's, you know, the concept is bullshit in the sense of it, we're not, they're not raising the high hit factor because a bunch of people have heroed and zeroed it over the years and it's too difficult. It's bullshit and purely because they USPSA sets it higher uh, one way or another and when they really shouldn't be. Right. Okay. Um, so let me ask you this, since we have, we have limited on the screen here, the lightning yeah. and thunder, not zero nine, zero nine. Yeah. Um, hold on. Now, so this is where it gets interesting to me that, so for like carry optics, you said the actual high hit factor is 86.8 and you recommend a high hit factor of 88.4, but on limited actual high hit factors 88.3 and you recommend lowering it so what's the difference between why are you raising one and lowering one yeah that's that's a perfect question right so how i've come up with my recommended hit factor is uh, i look at the top one percentile so the top one percentile and say that's the top one percent because remember we're looking at the bell curve top one percent should be gm Right. So what I, what I do is I basically 
set the high hit factor such that the top 1% of scores are GM. So in the case of this case, the reason why I recommend raising carry optics is because the top 1% in the current hit factor, high hit factor is 1.4%. So it's easier than my recommended top 1%. Okay. Uh, Whereas limited, it's 0.7%. So I recommend lowering it to be make it top one to, right to boost that number up to one yeah yeah okay and and i recommend personally so so what that so what that means here is if we always set it to top one percent of scores and if we look at say the scores of the last five years right and that ends up usually getting a good amount of data for all the classifiers so if we look at top one percent of the last five years and do that say every year or every two years or something sometimes the score that sometimes that means high hit factor will go up Sometimes that means high hit factor will go down. And if we're looking at the last five years, um, we're really kind of looking at the active uh, shooter base in USPSA, right? And I think like over over time, if USPSA shooters get worse on average for whatever reason, then we can lower the GM standards, right? Um, So that there there are at least our GMs. Or, you know, we could arguably say we don't want to do that, right? Um, Or, you know, if, and, and if, or the opposite goes, if we, if, USPSA shooters get significantly better over time, which I think I've looked at the data. I want to say people that on average USPSA shooters are getting better. Um, then we should we should raise GM, right? We should raise the standard so that it uh, it's again it's that top percentile that's reflective, reflective of of the shooter base as well as like the top guys and not and not just some arbitrary standard. Um, and it, and it seems to me that high hit factor is arbitrary or arbitrarily set kind of based on what whoever sets it feels like doing. Um, and, and I know they, they have said that they do statistics like average of the best three or best five or whatever it may be, but all the data that I've looked at and I'm using their data, all the data that at least the data that they've published, all the data that I've looked at, which is all the data is, doesn't reflect any particular method that that they are selecting high hit factor. Um, now, if you adjust this so you get one percent of GMs in that, you get you hit that mark you're looking for. How does that affect the other divisions? So it would or, or if, other class right classes. I mean, so it would it would because it's uh, setting it to there. Like like high hit factor, the classes would always reflect whatever the high hit factor is. So um, I want to say percentage wise, uh, that ends up being like the ideal curve. I think ends up being like five percent masters. Um, like they, I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, but essentially, it it does it would lower lower the standards for all the other divisions too, right? So like like if if we make it easier for GMs, it's now easier for everyone else. And it's not like okay, a perfect so, one-to-one. Yeah. I got you. So even, so like carry optics, then I'll use yeah. that one. We'll go, we'll go back. Then that means if you're raising the recommended high hit factor, then it's going to be a little bit more difficult to, to class up yeah. and not as easy. Yeah. But, but the good thing is if, if every single classifier is treated this way, then you have equity across the board. Yep. Yeah. Consistent standards uh equity across the board for all the, all the, all the classifiers you don't have to worry right. about 
asking your your match director to to select or not select specific classifiers. Um, right, because then the yeah. only real difficulty between classifiers is the actual shooting. <laughs> you know yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so exactly, um, and really, yeah, exactly. Make it make it performance based, uh, and yeah. not uh, uh, you know some other arbitrary secret knowledge that that you don't know based. Um, or that nobody formally knows based. Yeah. Now, do you think there's a way to correlate? So we talk about match performance and classifier performance, two different things. Mm -hmm. Um, and we've talked about how there is a difference. Like if you, again, you go, you're a GM or a master, you go to nationals, uh, if you're top 30%, you're hoping to be in that, you know, 87, percent or higher, but that's not 95% that you're used to. <laughs> so is there a way to create classifiers you think that would be more indicative of a match performance? Uh, I think at the national level in particular, no, unfortunately, okay. using, using a, a stage classifier system, I don't think there's a good way of measuring, um, performance. Now, I think there's ways we could ex improve with the current system, right? Like right now, for example, the, the, it's your best, your best six scores, uh, of your last eight that count. Right. Right. And it's the last eight that count that, which is an important note. Um, right. And so like, if you, if you score less than 5% below your current class, um, then I believe it doesn't count. So, so, right. so essentially what that you end up getting, and this is, I think is a problem with our classification system too, is hero or zeroing, right? Which is like what I did on diamond cutter, right? Which I went full retard, full speed, <laughs> and I heard it, right? I, 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 I got the highest, highest score ever, right? But right. if I had literally zero, zeroed it out, then it wouldn't matter. It doesn't matter, right? Nope. And, and so I think, I think that's a problem. I think if we did a every single classifier that you shoot counts people will shoot it more conservatively and uh, and even if you kept your class like you don't down rank but uh, every it, but every classifier you shoot affects your percentage i i think people would shoot it more conservatively and your percentage would more closely represent your actual performance at a match than hero or zeroing with our current system um and by every score, like every last eight or last six, right? If you if you if you if you scored and averaged all of those of your last six or last eight, and had a running average, like I think, and all of them counted, even if you zeroed, all of them counted. I think that would that would uh, that would improve or more accurately reflect real performance, even though people you know can can get salty about oh my gun you know malfunctioned or something. Well, if your gun malfunctioned. Too bad you lost the match, right? Like, I mean, hey, look, look at JJ yeah. at Carry Optics Nationals. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, so I, I think that would improve it. I think that would improve it. And I think if we had consistent uh, high hit factors, you know, repeatable, consistent, well defined method of setting high hit factor, I think that would improve. But I think when you look at that, really, that like top percentile, the super squad at Nationals. I think there's no, there's no realistic way for an average person like me 
to measure how do I really perform against Max Leo Grandis and PCC unless I actually go and shoot against Max Leo Grandis at a match, right? Like there's just no way I think of accurately measuring that. Um, but obviously the classification system works of like, if I show up at a local match with PCC, I'm going to beat everybody or, you know, almost everybody. Um, so, so that, that classification still, still works. But if I, yeah, like I said, if I were to go to, to Max Leo Grandis and my average is say 95%, I, I can guarantee you, I'm not shooting 95% of Max Leo Grandis. That's just the case. Um, and I, and I think there's no real way of having a classification system that measures the super squad. Um, and that, and that's because they're so far on the right side of the bell curve that, to be realistic, you can't do it. Um, and then the other thing with classifiers okay. is they, they measure, they measure gun technical skills, but they, there's a lot, they don't measure that, that comp- competitive shooting, uh, includes in matches. Right. So what do classifiers do? They do draws, reloads, accurate, fast shooting. Um, and that's about it. So it's a, like a, like a stand and blast accurate shooting. And even the movement stages, they're still, you move really quick to one position, you shoot the targets, you move really quick to the next and shoot all the targets. Um, whereas like at a, at a, at a match winning skills, right. They, there's, there's more to it uh, with, even within shooting, there's, you know, how are you moving? How, how are you engaging targets while on the move? You know, how are you blending positions um, that are major skill sets that classifiers just don't measure technical skill sets. And then there's the, there's just the match management skill set of like with your mind in the game, how are you focused on achieving your scores for the entire match? Right. It's like a good, a good way of doing it is you don't hear or zero any stage in a match, but you shoot consistently at or slightly above your actual real performance. Right. And so classifiers don't measure that. Right. They, they don't do it. Um, and so I, I think, uh, and I, I and I think like no matter how you design classifier stages, you just can't capture those skill sets, right? Like we can make blending and positions, we can make stages that do that. Um, but as I've you know, transitioned to running matches locally, we, we I've discovered is that uh, especially indoor matches, you like you really can't do much in terms of classifiers, in terms of movement and blending positions. And then the other thing what we I noticed when we were evaluating the in the in the provisional period for the 2022 classifiers is that the stage setup really really matters for the classifiers, especially for movement stages. So like if if you don't set it up perfectly, if you're off by like one of them for example was uh, I want to say 2204. Or 2203. It was 2203. 2203 was a uh, a provisional um, stage. And oh, maybe it wasn't. uh, All right. So, yeah. So it was 2203. So 2203 double stacked um, was a provisional uh, stage, which I want to give credit, really good credit to USPSA for the 2022 series. Um, What they did for 2022 classifiers is they made a list of five or six stages, maybe even more than that, um, where normally they, they have classifiers shot at nationals and then they distribute the classifier next year's from the previous nationals. Well, in 2022, they tried something which I wish they would do every year where they uh, sent out a list of five classifiers 
that everyone could shoot at any point. Well, for for the provisional period, which I think was three months. Um, and so they posted these classifiers and they, and they said is, you know, well, we're, we're going to collect the data. And if we decide to keep the stage, uh, we'll set the high hit factor after the, after the provisional period, and then give you the scores. You will earn the scores for that provisional period, uh, at the end of the provisional period. Right. So you won't get the scores immediately, but you'll get them later. Um, which I think is a fantastic idea because what that does is then it then allows them allows to be data driven, where we look at the data first, have everyone shoot it, look at the data, then set the high hit factor, and then go back and give everyone their scores. Until next time, don't be a little bitch. Yeah.